they could really kind of knock heads together a little bit in the treasury and say, look, um, you're, you're making it harder for the NHS to cope. Last week, we heard about how evidence in policymaking is becoming imperiled. But today, we're hearing of a plan to make evidence about health central to all aspects of government. As the cause of our health problems moves from communicable to lifestyle conditions, so changes to our environment, whether that's transport or housing or air quality, will ultimately affect our health and therefore the finances of our healthcare system. Now, if we take the UK as an example, here government pays for health and transport and housing and social care, all of it. Therefore, it makes sense to, when planning a new road, take into account the effect on air quality and how much that will cost the NHS. There's no point saving money on transport if you're then going to just have to spend it on health. But how is it that a government can join up all the evidence about what's effective and come up with a holistic plan? I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor for the BMJ, and earlier I talked to the authors of a new analysis paper on bmj.com which presents some of the evidence for the best societal interventions to save money for health. At the UK Health Forum. Hi, Laura. Hello. Nice to speak to you. Susie Morrow, Chair of the Wandsworth Living Streets Group. Hi, Susie. Thank you for uh, inviting us. And Brian Ferguson, Chief Economist at Public Health England. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Morning, Duncan. Everyone, thanks very much for the invitation. So thank you all for 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 writing that essay, um, the analysis. It was really interesting. I think the first thing that struck me when I was looking through it was your cost estimates, totalling up the cost of these kind of societal problems to the NHS. Um, they're all set out and people can go and read them. But if you sit down and add them all together, um, the list in the article comes up to about $59 billion annually. Uh which is about half the, the current NHS budget. And I was just wondering, you know, where did those cost estimates come from and how realistic um, do you think they are? So, I mean, we, we didn't do those. They're, they're um, from the literature. Um, but I, I wouldn't sum those costs because they're from different years um, and um, obviously different methods. Okay, so, so adding them all together, as I, as I did in my head there, wasn't the right thing to do with these. I think I think I would I would use the same method across all risk factors, which these are obviously drawn from different studies in the literature. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this whole article is about some interventions that might um, affect some of these risk factors that you've been talking about. You've set out some things that we have some evidence for, and I just wonder what. How good is the evidence for some of the these interventions? The the short answer is there's lots of really good evidence out there. Um, most of the debates you tend to have in public health in this space is around the quality of the evidence, because as you probably know, in, in some of the areas we're talking about, it's not possible to do large-scale randomised controlled trials to come up with what some people might see as sort of gold standard evidence. But but the point is that a lot of these things have been summarised over the years by organisations like WHO, by OECD and others. So a lot of the 
interventions that have gone into OECD obesity and alcohol reports, a lot of the evidence that's gone into some of the WHO best buys work <clears throat> is really quite uh, substantial evidence and evidence that shows that there are interventions in the, the area you're talking about where they really are highly cost effective and indeed uh, show a return on investments. Mm. And um, just to hammer home the point, these aren't just modelling studies and things that people have done. These are actual interventions that have been tried in places. Yes, that's right. And I mean, again, Laura and uh, her, her team at UK Health Forum have, have done some very useful work for us recently that uh, we hope to publish quite soon, which is around looking at... Um, fiscal interventions, fiscal policies and pricing policies that might be put in place to tackle some of these big areas. So um, we're quite excited about that work because it will pull together in one place uh, a, a substantial collation of the evidence to help us to look at, you know, where, where, are, the, where are things worked nationally and internationally um, to tackle you know, things like uh, environmental uh, issues such as air quality, um, housing policies, and so on. So we've got a range of things that are going to come up through that route, which I think will be very helpful. In terms of summarising the evidence, we've also done quite a lot in PHE to pull together uh, return on investment and cost effectiveness uh, uh, evidence in one place. We have a, a health economics evidence resource that we update regularly, which tries to pull all of that together in one place. A problem for kind of transport and, and planning interventions is that the health impacts are often not considered um, because it's, you know, it's seen as a transport or whatever project. Mm. And um, so it, all they're interested in is transport related uh, outcomes and the data may not be there. Um, and in the NICE guidance on physical activity and the environment that, that I was involved in, we identified a number of gaps and came up with some uh, research recommendations, you know, to try and um, address these gaps. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Now, you kind of picked up and, and um, talked about some of these, these interventions already. And the ones that you list in your article are fiscal and pricing policy, so things like minimum unit pricing, things like that, um, physical activity promotion, um, uh, as you just mentioned, Susie, um, social determinants of health, which obviously we know have a, a huge effect some of these are relatively simple interventions, not necessarily cheap, perhaps, like the transport interventions, but, you know, they're, they're relatively simple. What do you think are some of the best ways that we have to perhaps promote these and promote health within these, the health thinking within these? Um, well, the first thing I would say is that simple is not the same as easy, and that's a really important distinction. Um, Certainly, it's usually an enormous struggle uh, to get, and I'm talking here about um, changes to the built environment primarily, um, to get changes, often even quite small changes uh, made. And if we're talking about changing, and that is what will then enable everyday physical activity. Uh, and my particular interest, as you know, is, is active travel. So... What we really need and what's been demonstrated where it's worked is um, we need political buy-in. 
And we also need officers who are, um, you know, properly trained and have the skills to deliver uh, these kinds of interventions. So um, somehow we need to bring the health and the transport silos together so that public health people um, have, a, have a better understanding of transport and, and land use planning and vice versa. So what you're talking about there, I suppose, is, is just getting the right people together um, at the planning stage or the people who can make these decisions to kind of think a little bit more broadly. Um, and as you say, not necessarily that easy to do, but you can you can see a sort of a path to doing it. Um, but then, you know, you, you mentioned in your articles things like social determinants of health, which are a much more structural society, like, you know, wide society problem. Um, and, you know, you can't just change that in a planning department of a, uh, of a city. That, that, that needs to be a much more collected kind of action there. I wonder, do you have any ideas about, um, about that, about those, those, those more intractable-seeming problems? We've got two big things coming up on the horizon. One, obviously, the NHS long-term plan, which is with us now and will be you know, taking up a lot of our energy over the next few weeks. And we've got spending review next year. Both, both of those are massive opportunities for us to get a, a greater focus on prevention. And in doing that, what we'll be looking to do is say, what is it the NHS can do around prevention? What is it that wider uh, society, including local and national government, can do around prevention? But we have to do it in that system way. So if, if I take an example of that, what we want the NHS to do is to do what only it can do primarily. First and foremost, we want the NHS to deal with secondary prevention, so cardiovascular disease, diabetes prevention, all the things that we know are highly cost-effective interventions but actually are never done systematically at scale. Those are the things that need to be done in the NHS. Alongside that, the NHS needs us in local government and national government to do our bit around things that um, are going to reduce the demand on the NHS. So uh, we've talked about environment, we've talked about things like air quality already. You know, if, if we can manage to act nationally, um, as indeed DEFRA and others are already doing, to get a, uh, a strategy around uh, clean air, then that will hopefully make our streets more pleasant places to be and will reduce the number of COPD admissions and asthma admissions to hospitals which reduces the demand on the NHS and hopefully may even reduce to some uh, may even lead to some reductions in, in costs or, or at least redeploy these resources to other things so it has to be that sort of whole system approach to things so there's a whole series of things that I think we need to be asking other government departments to do so that You've got a, a, a two-way ask, if you like. We want the NHS to do something uh, as part of its long-term plan, and we want the NHS to ask government to make sure that its other departments do things that are going to reduce demand on the NHS. I, that's, a, that's a great um, vision for, for the way government should run, and that's one of your explicit calls in this article, that kind of health and all policies um, view. But just given the, the practical way in which um, government works, you know, there are siloed um, funds for things, you know, transport 
it has its focus on on transport and they don't necessarily want to spend some more money to save costs for for the NHS which is you know looked after by a, a different department I'm just wondering you know practically how do you think um, the change that you're you're asking for could could actually come about um, is it to do with with changing sort of the way funding works or or is it a, a kind of softer um, yeah. a softer way to do great, it great great question so a couple of things and I should I should make the point um, that of course all, all these things we do are not there just to save the NHS money that that is one focus that the Treasury and others are clearly particularly interested in you know, can we reduce demand on the NHS it's a legitimate question legitimate focus but I should balance that alongside the fact that we do a lot of these preventive interventions because they're cost effective and they're the right thing to do and much of the, the, the material we've written in our, our blogs and Public Health England make that point. So just, just to balance that on. Um, but in terms of practical um, way forward, I mean, I, I was having a conversation with, with some Treasury colleagues last week where it was very heartening to hear that um, they're, they're actually dealing with this now. You know, they've got a plan to talk to other government departments about what it is they can do around prevention that will allow, that will lead to some of the things that we're talking about, hopefully improvements in health, potentially reductions in demand for the NHS and, and the wider health and social care system. But these conversations are happening now and we're, we're trying to build these things into the NHS plan now. So I think there's quite a hard edge to this. Um, I think the, the other thing you allude to, though, is absolutely right, which is we've got to get the incentives in the system right to allow people to focus on these things. And part of that is about taking a longer-term uh, view of this. Uh, I think the NHS has started to do that through the sort of three- to five-year plans that that, 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 that uh, STPs have got. Um, but the childhood obesity plans, another good example, where we're not talking about something that's limited by short-term political cycles. We've got to keep a long-term focus on, on these things. And, and just one final point, if I may, which is at local government level, um, what Director of Public Health and others are trying desperately to do all the time is to look not just at their own public health budget, but all the other budgets in local authorities to try and look at things again holistically so that you can improve health and well-being by doing things around transport or environment or housing. So it is, you know, in a way, we've got to try and mirror that, uh, what people are trying to do at local mm -hmm. level, we have to mirror at national level. Yeah, I mean, there are some of these things that um, that sort of localism, that 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 sort of smaller view might actually make this much better, you know, transport uh, being one example there, I suppose. Something I found out uh, recently, in fact, was that in the London Borough of Hackney has a cabinet member um, whose role is cabinet member for health, social care, parks and transport. And I was, um, I was in, you know, I was so amazed when I, uh, I learned this and I thought, you know, what a, what a great thing that is to have, to have somebody who covers those related areas. And a committed um, individual with that kind of portfolio is really well placed uh, to push forward this agenda. Now, we mentioned, you know, we've talked all through this about sort of health and all policies and things. Uh, one thing um, that you also recommend is a National Commission on Health Promoting Fiscal Policies. Um what do you see that body as being and, and what do you think they should be doing? The Chancellor of the Exchequer 
earlier this week said that the cumulative cost to the exchequer of the fuel duty uh, not you know accelerator being um, not being implemented was 46 billion pounds if even a fraction of that had been used to do a lot of um, disseminated often quite small scale very cost effective physical infrastructure interventions to enable people to walk or cycle that could really have made a big difference to people's health. If we had such a commission, they could really kind of knock heads together a little bit in the Treasury and say, look, um, you're you're making it harder for the NHS to cope with demand and you do need to think about uh, the impact of these policies on the NHS and, and population health. That's absolutely right. And uh, mm-hmm. thanks, Susan. The reason I didn't jump in was it wasn't my idea, I wish I'd thought of it, but it was... <laughs> else's idea, um, but but I think it links very much with what I described earlier that we're doing the current conversation mm. with with Treasury. So we've put together a, a paper that's uh, currently doing the rounds at the moment in Treasury, which is setting out in a number of areas such as uh, alcohol, uh, obesity, substance misuse, and and so on. So the, the usual suspects, but setting out a range of things that we think have got potential traction in the fiscal uh, side of things. And that that could range from taxation policies through to combined tax subsidy policies through to pricing policies and other levers. But we've set out a range of things. And you, you've, you, you've mentioned the duty escalator. That's one of the things in there where we set out, as you have done, the opportunity cost of uh, what's happened around that since 2013. Um, minimum pricing is, is probably one of the things that we'll, we'll continue to push for. There's a whole range of things where we think there's real mileage through fiscal and pricing levers to make a difference in this space. So um, I've got less to say about the idea of a, a commission, as it were, but I think what, whatever we do, I think what we have to, is, is to continue drawing together the best available evidence uh, around what's what's been seen to work or has got real mileage, real potential to work. Um, I mean, there's some great examples in the work that Laura and her team have done about such policies that have worked nationally and internationally and we, we need to get that into the public debate. You've been listening to Laura Webber from the UK Health Forum, Susie Morrow from Wandsworth Living Streets Group and Brian Ferguson from Public Health England discuss their new paper, What are the best societal investments for improving people's health? That's now available on bmj.com. If you've enjoyed this, check out the rest of our podcasts. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. We should be in most places now. You can also find our full back catalogue on bmj.com podcasts. There you'll find almost 10 years worth of podcasts, all available for free. That's it for this podcast, but we'll be back very soon. I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.